connection is how we find happiness in life. It is how we find success in life. Think about this. There is no problem you have, no challenge you face, no goal you want to achieve that somebody can't help you get there. At any moment in time, you are one connection away from somebody who can change your life. Welcome in to another episode of the Professional Profiles podcast that uncovers the time-tested wisdom for the next generation. Join me, a forward-thinking team, as I engage in insightful conversations with industry titans, revealing the invaluable ingredients that pave the way to achieving remarkable success. Meredith Elliott Powell is a business strategist, an award-winning author, and a Hall of Fame speaker. She worked her way up from an entry-level position to earn her seat at the C-suite table, and her career expands over several industries, including banking, healthcare, and finance. Now Meredith works with some of the top companies and organizations around the world, helping them embrace uncertainty. In this episode, we talk about how the next generation can get ahead early in life, the importance of building your network, how to go about building one's network, overcoming failure, building confidence, public speaking, embracing uncertainty, and much, much more. I really hope you enjoyed this wonderful interview. Hey, Charlie here. I just want to take a brief moment to let y'all know about the Profiles newsletter, which condenses all the proven methods, tactics, and ideas used by world-class successes that you can use to level up your life. Each week, I send out a non-spammy email with all the insights I've gleaned from the Profiles podcast, condensed down into a very, very short article filled with the absolute best advice. You can sign up below using the link in the description, or you can visit charliehubbard.substack.com. Again, that's charliehubbard.substack.com. That's all from me. Here's the interview. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. I'm excited to be here. So just to start out, I'd love to talk about your career path. Could you walk us through the stages in your career and the steps that have helped you grow into the role you're in today? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question to ask me because probably unlike most of your guests, my career path is not straight. I was not that kid who got out of school who knew what she wanted um, uh, to do. And I started out in public relations and marketing, um, then went into healthcare. And in healthcare, I was in sales. And then from there, I was recruited into the financial services industry. And I was always recruited for jobs. This is a big tip because I uh, was really involved in my community. When I was growing up, my mother taught us that we needed to volunteer. And, uh, and because I was on boards and on committees, whenever other companies were looking for somebody, they would see me as somebody that knew a lot of people in the community. And then, you know, I was on a podcast probably about two years ago and somebody asked me about my career and I was like, it doesn't make any sense. But then I figured out that it did because when I went into marketing and public relations, I went to work for a chamber of commerce right after a hurricane wiped the community out. I went into sales and healthcare when managed care and regulation were changing the uh, industry. And then I went into banking when interest rates and heavy competition, the whole landscape of uh, banking. And I figured out that what my passion is and what I'm good at is disruption. So when I was about 40 years old, I went out on my own to start my own business. And that's kind of uh, my path. So you just mentioned getting really involved at a young age. Could you speak to that point a little further? Yeah. So um, I am old enough that I had two strikes against me when I went into the workforce. Unlike a lot of your audience would probably only have one. And the one strike against you is you're young. When you're young, people discount you. But 
being the age that I am now, I was also discounted because I was a female. And, um, and so in order to get promoted and in order to get opportunity, I needed to prove to people what I could do. I needed them to look beyond what they felt were my shortcomings to look for what were my strengths. And volunteering on committees and things was a way for me to connect and get to know people. And I am a passionate believer that if you build your network, it will change your life. I've spent my life studying uh, successful people and um, successful people uh, succeed based on how well connected they are. And volunteering in your community, figuring out like volunteering at your chamber of commerce, volunteering in your industry association, even if you're not in that industry yet, but it's an industry that you want to get into, it shows initiative. It also shows that you can do things like they decided they wanted an article in the paper every week. And the CEO said he didn't have time to write it. I raised my hand. I said, I'll write it. And then all of a sudden people started to lean on me for everything. And the things that I wasn't became discounted. And the things that I were, that I am, got a big spotlight on them. So how would an introvert approach this idea of networking or a young person who isn't so inclined to go out and make these connections? Well, luckily for you, I'm an introvert. Um, and, uh, and here's the great thing about being an introvert and networking is that meeting and connecting to people is not about talking about yourself. And it's not about um, having a 30 second elevator speech and telling people all the things that you can do. What you're trying to do with networking is get in and ask people questions, figure out what it is that they need and figure out how to help them. Like I said, I showed up at a couple of business after hours. I was there. I asked, could I work the front desk? Could I help you check people in? The next thing I know, they're asking me to be on the communications committee. When they're on the communications committee, they said, the CEO needs to write an article. He doesn't want to write it. He doesn't have time. I just raised my hand. And nothing about that is painful for an introvert. At no point did I need to talk about myself. I just became visible and dependable. I think one of the most important things that you can do is if I were going to describe you, Charlie, to somebody, if I were going to turn around to a possible person to hire you and I were going to use five words to describe you, what five words would you want me to use? And then you need to, you need to intentionally be those five words every day. You know, you need to think about it. Like, I didn't always want to be dependable. I didn't always want to be somebody who would raise my hand and volunteer, but I had an idea of myself and I created that. So what motivated you to go out and take these opportunities and try to put yourself out there? You know, it is um, probably pretty much um, most of it was uh, my mother. It was just ingrained in me since I was a kid, but also the fact that Um, again, I knew that doors were closed to me, um, and they were closed to me because of my age and because of my gender. And I had a choice. I could get mad about that, but getting mad about that was a waste of time. And so I think what motivated me was to say, I know that I could do 10 times the job anybody else could do. How can I find a way to show these leaders that if they chose me over everybody else, then I'm the best um, choice. So I'm a firm believer that that getting angry or expecting things to be fair and right is burned energy. 
who cares? Okay. Like it wasn't fair that I was judged on my age. It wasn't fair that I was judged on my gender. But if I had a focus there, I'd have never created the opportunities for myself. Certainly somebody would have given me opportunity because they had to. I didn't want anybody to give me opportunity because they had to. I wanted them to give me opportunity because they felt lucky to have me. And so what motivated me, I think, was I needed to find a way that was unconventional to prove that I could do the job. And if I knew I did that, I would open the door. And if I opened the door, then I could change the rules. That's a powerful message. I really appreciate that insight. Um, So another powerful message that I found when I was doing my research for this interview is one that seemed to come up quite often in your work, and that is embracing uncertainty. So I'd love to give you the floor just to describe what you mean by this and explain it a little bit. Yeah, so I really believe that advantage in life, and it kind of goes with what I just said, advantage in life is about viewing an obstacle as an opportunity. And the reason it's an advantage is because everybody views it as an obstacle. And if you can view something different than your competitors, then you have the opportunity. So back in 2018 and 2019, I was talking with my clients and everybody was talking about what an amazing year they were having. I mean, think about those years. We had no geopolitical tensions. We had low interest rates. We had a flush economy, no inflation, um, you know, just unbelievable opportunity. But everybody was saying, but oh, this uncertainty, they were worried about what was coming. And I thought they have already put a roadblock into their success. And what if you flip the script on that? What if you could believe that no matter the obstacle in front of you, and sometimes uncertainty is good, sometimes it is bad. I mean, you you don't know. That's why it's uncertain. But what if you believe that no matter how it showed up, that you could turn it into an opportunity? And again, that's kind of the example of my biggest obstacles where I was young and I was female. And Everybody around me was complaining about it. And I thought, how can I use this? Because let me tell you, when you use your obstacle, once I busted through the door, everybody knew me because I looked different than everybody else. So the advantages that I got on the front, on the back end were not fair to the other people I was competing um, with, but that's the, you know, that's the way life rolls. So what I wanted to do was um, I wanted to help people view uncertainty as opportunity. Like if you get fired, if you don't get that job, if you, um, you know, if you lose an apartment, if you, you know, if you get a boss you don't like, how can you start to, instead of focusing on what's wrong with that situation, what can you do with it if you focus on what's right uh, with it? And once I got down that path, people started to ask me, well, how do you do that? And so then I write the, I write the methodology on, um, on how to do it, but it's uncertainty ranks as the top three issue that stops CEOs dead in their tracks. They're afraid of it. And most people are, and it is what prevents us from achieving our goals. And if you can begin to view it differently, you can have anything you want. And I think along the same lines of that, a common theme that I've noticed through my interviews is people always talking about how it's important to not fear failure and that fear of failure is what happens to cause people to not take action. I think it's a, it's a similar concept. Is like if you can embrace the obstacle and understand that it's going to be there and it happens for everyone, and if you turn that and spin it, then you take control, then I think it's just a really powerful message to have. Yeah, early on in, um, early on in my career, 
I was uh, I was at a meeting and I watched this very very powerful CEO get up on the stage to do an introduction. I mean, this was he was a big big powerful man, and um, he completely screwed the introduction up. I mean, it was horrible. He got off that stage like it was water off a duck's back. Like he it was, and it really struck me that that is how you succeed in life. You know the chances that you are going to be perfect every time. That's insane. But if you can learn to say, you know, wow, maybe I should have prepared to do that introduction. Maybe I could have done that better and then move on from it. Everybody fails. And if you don't get comfortable with it, you'll never try. For sure. So I'd love to transition now into your work as a speaker. So obviously, public speaking is a fear for many. And this is kind of along the lines of fearing failure. But I'm curious how as an introvert, you can have the confidence or appear confident on a stage when many people, including myself, really struggle to convey confidence when they're, yeah. they're public speaking. Yeah. You know, that's actually a pretty easy answer, but one that took me years to learn, because if you looked at my early videos, you would see a pretty bad speaker. Um, and uh, is that when I first stepped on the stage, I was afraid and I was nervous because I thought it was about me. Like I was trying to think about what will people think? What will they, will they like this? Will it be useful to them? Now, when I step on stage, I am so passionate about my message. Like I really, really know that if you apply this methodology, you are going to shift how you think about uncertainty. It's going to be different. And when you, you know, I don't know what you're passionate about, but you know, like when I, watch my husband tell somebody the right creeks to go fly fishing in. I mean, he lights up, right? And so you've got to find something. Don't get up there and speak about anything and never get up on a stage and speak about something that people tell you to speak about. Speak about something you're passionate. And then it's time in the seat. I mean, you know, it's time in the seat, time in the saddle. You're going to be nervous your first few times and you're not going to be any good and you're going to fail your first few times. I did. I mean, my very first keynote, I used slides. I used 11 point type, which let me just tell you right now, 11 point type, nobody in the audience could see. I jammed three and a half hours worth of information into 45 minute keynote. It was awful. It was absolutely awful, but that's how I learned. I learned what didn't work. I learned what did, you know, and one of the biggest things I think that is important is people want you to be successful. They want you to succeed. But if you're not talking about something you're passionate about and you don't believe it can really help the audience, don't talk about it. So along that same topic of becoming passionate about your message, how can young people find what they're passionate about and find the things that light them up? How would you recommend going about that? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, to find what you're passionate about, that's useful, right? Like, I don't think my husband going out looking for a job, talking about fly fishing would be useful to anybody. Um, maybe a CEO here and there, but, um, but I would say, you know, some of the very first things that you should be doing while you're in college, before you ever start looking for a job is doing exactly what you're doing right here is that you should be interviewing people. You should be talking to people. You should be saying, you know, tell me about your career. What worked out in your career? What do you love about your career? What are the biggest pain points in your business right now? If you could solve one thing, what is it working? What kinds of things do you think people my age could bring to the table or should do? 
And what you'll find in there is a problem you can solve. That's how I found uncertainty, right? Like I got excited because I thought, oh my gosh, wow, that's a problem. I could solve that. And then I started researching and I got excited. Like, I don't know, maybe you're the person that cracks the code on how we engage this next generation. Um, you know, maybe you're the one who solves some of the biggest challenges that, that companies are facing today. But I would say, don't try to come up with a problem on your own. Listen to the audience that you're trying to serve and then find out the one that rings with you. People told me a million things that are their problems, like they have cybersecurity issues. That's not my thing. But when they started talking about uncertainty, I lit up. So I'd love to shift now to the idea of sales, which is a thing that you have worked a lot with your clients on. And I've talked with many people, including different speakers who have all talked about the importance of building up these sales skills when you're younger, uh, not just for the sales industry, but just for any industry, really, sales skills are very important. So I'd love for you to maybe speak about the importance of them and then also to share a little advice or introduction to the skills that are required in sales to succeed. Yeah. So every time you pretty much say sales, you, you feel the energy suck straight out of the room. It is not a word that people like me included. It is not something that, um, that I wanted to do. I thought it had a negative um, uh, connotation, but the truth is everybody's in sales. You sold me on getting on this podcast. That's a sale. That's a skill to, um, you know, to get people to do what you need them and want them to do is a sales skill. So just because you don't get a job in sales, if you don't know how to sell, you're never going to sell yourself up the ladder. You're never going to sell yourself into the organization. So everybody needs to learn, um, learn to sell. So there's a couple of things. Number one is I would learn the basics of sales. I would find people again that are good at sales and I would talk to them and I would interview them and I would say, you know, as I move into corporate America, what do I need to know and what do I need to understand um, uh, about sales? I would early on at some point in my life take a sales job. Now, let me talk about that a moment because again, most people don't like it. But years ago, when I got hired into a corporation to teach sales, I was working with the big consultants that we had hired to teach sales. And I noticed that none of our team was selling. They weren't swallowing any of the stuff we were supposed to do. And then one day, it was in financial services, I walked downstairs on the teller line, and the tellers who refused to sell had little um, paper feet all over their um, teller line, which is which was asking people for a dollar to raise money for the March of Dives. And I thought, why are they so willing to help people raise money for the March of Dives, yet they won't help people with their financial services? And what I realized was, if you think that sales is about reaching your goals, you'll struggle with it. Sales is about one thing. It is about helping other people. So when I go out on a sales call, sometimes it's to help me. Like I told you, I'm passionate about uncertainty. So it's easy for me to sell because I have a formula I know that can help you. But if you came back and told me you needed something else, then I would tell you to, um, you know, I tell you to, to work with somebody else. I, the answer doesn't have to be me, but I get a job right now working in a retail store. I get a job in, um, in, as a waitress, I was a waitress for years, but something that forces you a little out of your, um, of your comfort zone. I can never take the edge off the uncomfortableness 
of it. That never goes away. I don't wake up and go, woo, I get to make sales calls. Never. But I know that that is how I learn about people, how I learn about companies and how I really, I see the difference I've made with my, um, with my customers. So once again, like public speaking, get the focus off yourself, like figure out how you can help people and that's sales. I love how simple that is. I think Mm -hmm. so often, I mean, as you mentioned, like at least when we're talking as well, we're always thinking about what we're going to say next. We're thinking about how it makes us look instead of actually listening and taking an active approach to listening to hear what the other person who is more important in the moment is actually saying. Absolutely. Like if you and I had a conversation right now, I'd say, Charlie, tell me a little bit about you. You tell me about this podcast. You might say, you know, this is why you started it. This is what you're doing. And you really want to try to have a guest every week. And what goes on in my head? Oh, he needs guests. Maybe I could connect him to some guests. That's selling, right? But all I did was listen for where I could help you. That's all there is to sales. You know, if I showed up in your town tomorrow and said, I need a great place to eat, you would give me three places that you'd want me to go. That's sales. You're directing me in a direction and telling me this is the best thing for me. So I I have another question about staying present as a speaker. So through my research, that's what seems to be really important and really impactful for conveying a message to an audience is staying present. And you touched on it a bit before, but I'd love to get your advice or input on this topic. Yeah, so it, it, it is very, very important. It's the reason that I don't use slides when I present um, on stage. You know, you need to have a structure for a keynote because you can't just get up there and talk, right? Like you, you need to know where you're going and how you want to start. You need some level of structure, but you also need to engage the audience and go with the audience. Like the other day, so I have nine points in my, in my keynote and there's a point about values. And I threw something into the audience and asked them for some feedback and they lit up with it. I, I, I'd never had that experience before. And I thought, okay, this needs another story about values. And so I think right on my feet about what I need to delete and what I need to, to put in. It's also like when you watch audience members laugh, then you need to pause. You need to give them the room to laugh. If you hear somebody, if you see somebody kind of mouthing, the answer to a question that you asked, even though you weren't looking for an answer, you need to call them out and bring them in. You need to be ready to go off quote unquote script at any moment. It's really important. So what role does storytelling play in conveying a message effectively? Yeah, storytelling is massive. It's so critically um, uh, important. And, and it's something that speakers need to learn to get good at. Leaders need to learn to, um, to get good at, you know, when I deliver a a speech, when I deliver a a speaking engagement, I always, you know, there's a point, what, what is the lesson we're trying to learn? And then there's the story. And it's the story is how people do two things. They emotionally engage and they deeply understand the relevance of the point. And without the story that is, that is missing. And, And stories are what people Remember, remember, I just, um, I did a podcast earlier today and a guy had been in my, one of my audiences. I don't think he remembered a single point I made, but he remembered almost every single story and he had his favorite stories. And so stories are really, really, um, are very important. It's important also as a speaker to not be the hero of your own story. 
people want to want you to feel approachable and engageable and they want they want you to highlight somebody else's success what you learned from other people so as we kind of work towards the end of our interview i have a few questions that i like to keep consistent just to try to tease out some consistent advice and the first one is and your role as a speaker might change your answer a little bit or change uh, your response but if you're given 10 minutes notice to give a TED talk, what would you choose to talk about and why if it's something that you haven't spoken about before? Yeah. So I would speak about uncertainty, but I would speak about it in the personal realm. You know, I speak about it in business and where I'm going next is um, I would speak about it in, in personal life where I think it's almost more important. People need to be more and more resilient in the amount of things that are showing up in our, um, in our personal lives. Life is hard right now. Could you provide some maybe examples of embracing uncertainty in our personal lives? Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm raised in a family of addiction. Six male members of my family, including my first husband, all died of alcoholism. You will never live in a more uncertain household than when you live um, you know, with an addict. And how do you manage that? How do you live that? It's not just black and white. Having a child that is disabled or a child that is troubled Losing a job. I just had a really good friend I was with this weekend and we were out walking. They've got two kids and a mortgage and her husband just got laid off and he's older and can't necessarily find um, find a job. I write in my book about my husband's dental office um, five years before he was supposed to retire, got flooded out. Um, and the uncertainty was we had borrowed $10,000 to start that practice. We were looking at going a million dollars in debt to rebuild it. So life is full of um, life is full of uncertainty, and if you're not resilient, you won't thrive through it. Nobody escapes it in their personal life. Aging parents is another one. So my next of the three consistent questions would be a common question popularized by Tim Ferriss, which is the billboard question. And if you're given the opportunity to place a phrase, quote, or idea on a billboard in front of millions of eyes, what would you choose to put on it, and why would you choose that? Yeah, it would be build your network, change your life. And the reason is, is that I think that networking is a, is a dying skill and um, connection is how we uh, find happiness in life. It is how we find success in life. Think about this. There is no problem you have, no challenge you face, no goal you want to achieve that somebody can't help you get there. At any moment in time, you are one connection away from somebody who can change your life. So that would be my phrase. What's a practical way that high schoolers could go about managing their network, maybe college students going out and what opportunities to find to network yeah. would there be? So if, you know, it depends on what you want to network for. If you want to network, let's just use finding a job. You know, you should go to your chamber of commerce and find ways to network for your chamber of commerce. You should call an industry that you want to go into and find out is there opportunity to attend um, events and trade shows and places that you could go to those things and network. You should look at your at your local Rotary, your local Kiwanis. They have you know they have junior and and um, and and youth programs. And I'm sure there's a million other things out there since I was that age that have um, that you know that have crept up. But it's also if I wanted to work in the engineering industry, I would call up five people in the engineering industry. I would ask for an interview. I would ask them five questions, and my last question would be. Where do I need to get connected in this industry? How could you help me get connected in this industry? Okay. And my last question, 
would be how do you personally define success? Mm, I personally define success um, it, with five words. So every year I write out where I am with um, my health, where I am with my family, where I am with my finances, where I am with my business and where I am um, spiritually. And I rank it on a scale of um, one to five, five being perfection. And um, I have to be balanced in all those areas. And I have to be, I don't have to be a five, but let's say that I told you that my health was a two. I would be looking at what I could do to move my health from a two to a three. If I move my health, if I'm on my way to moving from a two to a three, I'm successful. If my finances are a four, but I want them to be a five as long as I'm moving. So I would describe it, I guess, with two words. It is it is balance. I cannot be successful professionally and have rocky family relationships. I can't be have bad health and you know a happy a happy family. But progress, I guess, is where I would say success is. As long as you're moving forward, you're successful. All right. Well, any last uh, messages you want to leave my audience? You know, just that. First of all, congratulations to you. Um, uh, for doing this. I love that you say you're an in- introvert and pushing out of your comfort zone, but what you're doing is really helping um, people. You know, my I guess my last message would be that um, your greatest success lies out there in the discomfort. And what you do in your 30s and your 40s, take every job, I mean, your 20s and your 30s, take every job for the leader you work for and the skills you will build. That will determine the opportunities you have in your 40s and your 50s. I've seen so many people do it the other way around. They've taken a great paying job that limited them and they didn't have a good leader and it limited them the rest of the career. But the more that you, um, the more skills you build and the more people you know, the more opportunity you have in your 40s plus. And when you reach my age, you get tired and you're glad you have a lot of opportunities. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated talking with you today and uh, look forward to seeing what you have in store for the future. Thank you so much. Please stay in touch.